Welcome to the Jasmine Dragon Tea Hour. I'm Doodle Lady and I have the honor of being your hostess today. Our wonderful tea servers will be Ride Boldly Ride and Bulletproof Teacup, the two most delightful Zutara-obsessed ladies that I've had the pleasure to meet. As you know, this podcast is the mad creation of Quarantine Blues and a passion for one inspiring Southern Water Tribe icon and honorable Fire Nation King. I hope you're thirsty because we've got quite the tea hour prepared for you, including fandom news, fake pics, pick pics, meta minutes, and much more. Now before we get started, we must get through our scheduled disclaimer. All Avatar fans are welcome to the Jasmine Dragon Tea Hour, but this podcast is going to be Zutara-centric. You can basically pry Zutara out of our cold, dead hands at this point. So naturally, a lot of the fanwork, metas, and serials that we feature are going to focus on this iconic ship. We may discuss other fandoms or pairings, but if Zutara isn't your cup of tea, please exit now. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Now, while we did introduce ourselves last episode, I figured a refresher wouldn't hurt for our new listeners, or anyone as bad with names as I am. I'm Doodle Lady, your resident fan artist and co-host. If you're into doodles and Zutara, you can follow me on Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram at Doodle Lady with an I. Hey there, fellow nerds. I'm Bulletproof Teacup, but you all know me as the one and only Teacup. Catch me on Tumblr and AO3, where I am, as always, a 100% human disaster. Hello, it's me, Ride Boldly Ride. I am a frantic writer. Yes, frantic is the word in this case. And I'm also your resident soundbender and podficker. You can find me on Tumblr and AO3 as Ride Boldly Ride, on Instagram as ride.boldly.ride, Whoever stole my username, give it back. And on Twitter as Tori underscore Gend. Thank you for the introduction, ladies. In this episode of the Jasmine Dragon Tea Hour, we will explore the contrast of before and after through our favorite fix and artists. This week's rotating segment focuses on Meta by Hey Arnold WTF. Really looking forward to that Meta doodle lady. You might say it's going to be a hot Meta minute. Ah! Boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut up, shut up. <laughs> anyway, anyway, <laughs> welcome to this week's fandom news, where we sip the tea and share the news. So the Zutara fandom is known for a lot of things. We're one of the strongest long-standing fandoms out there on the internet. We've also been largely credited with the rise of fandom weeks and the like, so don't quote me on that. Recently, however, we've begun to see a new fandom trend, specifically the rise of fandom weeks that celebrate unique cultures. So what is a culture-specific fandom week, you might ask? Well, let's take a look at Zutara OPM. The OPM stands for Original Pinoy Music. And long story short, this fandom week was a Zutara celebration set to the vibe of Filipino, or Pinoy, music. By the time this episode airs, Zutara OPM will be over. But this year, it ran from October 18th through the 24th. And based on my dashboard, it was a hit. 
Events like this really depend on fandom support, so please take the time to share your love and encourage them to host it again. The links to the OPM Twitter and Spotify will be shared down below. This Zutara week hit just a little different, and we all loved it. But you won't have to wait another year to enjoy a similar type of fandom week, though, because Zutara Bollywood Week is happening in December. Much like Zutara OPM, Zutara Bollywood Week will feature creations based on the language of Hindi language cinema. However, they will also accept any submission based on any South Asian music. So our Urdu, Bangla, Punjabi, and Tamil homies, welcome. If you don't hail from a South Asian country and want to participate in Zutara Bollywood Week, make sure to do your research and pay homage to the incredible touchstone that Bollywood cinema is before you hit submit. Uh, Zutara Bollywood Week will run from December 12th through the 18th, and we can't wait to see what they will bequeath to our wonderful fandom. Finally, another fandom news. The Avatar News Tumblr, formerly known as Korra News, reports that an official Avatar cookbook is coming in 2021. The description reads, From the shores of Kiyoshi Island to the crowded streets of Ba Sing Se, this official cookbook collects signature dishes from all four nations. It will include vegetarian plates from the Air Nomads, fiery entrees from the Fire Nation, seafood from the North and South Poles, and delectable cuisine from the Earth Kingdom. I don't know about you, but I don't need another reason to weeb out. I'll definitely be splurging on this book when it drops in August of next year. More details to come soon, but the article from Avatar News is posted below. As always, a shout out to our fave fandom news blog for providing us with all the best fandom news. Thanks for your service, ladies. And I know for a fact that I will be buying this. This just sounds too much fun. Oh my, I just, I want to know how they do the research and how they pull the recipes together. And then like, you know, before being in the Avatar fandom was just a hobby. Now I can turn it into a full freaking lifestyle. <laughs> I am behind that lifestyle all the way. <laughs> like, oh, what diet are you on? It's like, oh, I'm on the, I'm on the Air Nomad diet, you know? Uh, a lot of <laughs> Fire Nation. I'll be on the Fire Nation one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Nice, nice. The Fire Nation test. You will Spice. be. I will be happy Spicy. to like let you guys know though that um, apparently um, one of the chefs working on this um, was on Chopped. Ooh. It's an actual. This like, is so much. I love yeah. this ending so much. So <laughs> there weren't a lot of details that I could provide given the time. So it's slot. like gonna be good, good freaking dishes. Read the article. Yeah, like actual thought is being put into this. Basically, the Avatar fandom is going like next level. That's awesome. Because we're all grown ups with careers now. Exactly. So like we we peaked. We have we, peaked yeah. the level of talent we can incorporate into this fandom. I love it. I'm here for this. You know what we actually have done now is entered the same realm as Star Wars and Star Trek. Both Star Wars and Star Trek have their own cookbooks, multiple cookbooks. So you're looking at basically Avatar has now reached into the same level of fandom and mass of fandom as big names like Star Trek and Star Wars. So it, it's a pretty cool thing to be this big. I'm going to pass this on to my children. Be like, this is a traditional family recipe. These are the <laughs> stories of Avatar The Last Airbender. You must tell these stories to your children's <laughs> children you must use the cookbook <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
<laughs> I'll leave it in my inheritance. And, and, and by the way, for the nerds out there who caught that, that was a Star Wars reference. You're welcome. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, that's the news. Well, I've honestly never been so excited to tune into the news. Thank you for the update, Teacup. Now on to our next wonderful segment. It's time for Fig Picks. Take it away, Ride. Well, as we have discussed, this episode's theme is before and after. So before we discuss the beautiful art picks waiting for us after this segment, <laughs> let's take some time and talk about this week's fic pick. This week, our scheduled fic format is a whip. For those not familiar with the parlance, a whip is a work in progress, a WIP, whip. Since a whip is usually a bigger fic, we decided to only focus on one this episode. To fit our theme, we had to find a whip that clearly defined a before and an after. It's my personal belief that Forged in Flames by If You Are a Melody has already defined itself as having few peers in this category. As such, now is the time to give our usual disclaimer. A warning. This discussion is as far from spoiler-free as Bryke is from Zutara. We will be taking a deep dive into spoiler territory by analyzing, discussing, and all-out gushing over this story. If you haven't read it yet, please stop this podcast and go read it. It's 17 chapters and about 67,000 words in, and yet I still bounce and giggle when I see it. Update. Yes, it's embarrassing. No, it doesn't stop me. When you're done, come back and gush with us. We'll wait. But if you want to be trash like me, who only read, read two freaking chapters, because five, I read five. Can you believe this? <laughs> she only, oh wait, oh, three. My five. bad. I didn't give her Yay. enough credit. She read three. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I read five chapters. Okay, oh, five. We're up to it, five. That has to count for something. She's reading as we're recording. She teacher. She so, didn't do the reading. So. Yeah, yeah. Don't be tattletales. I'm definitely that person Never mind. that's doing the homework as it's being turned in. Like, I'm doing my essays at 11.59 p.m. Here we are roasting teacup, and I literally <laughs> read that, like, finished reading this, like, an hour before we started recording. Girl, girl. So. What goes around comes Meanwhile, around, so just I, I, be careful. I've read this multiple times. <laughs> I'm like Azula. You can't kill me. But you go nuts? <laughs> and she is a prodigy. <laughs> I am already nuts. I'm already nuts. <laughs> hey, this is a safe for work podcast, Tika. You can't be saying things. <laughs> I'm sorry. Would you like me to use the correct term? I am clinically insane. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Sorry. So if you've survived that chaos... <laughs> Have we got you to come back yet? Have you finished reading the 67,000 words? Good. So now let's take a nice long sip from this week's Zutara Fic Picks. First of all, the fic is entitled Forged in Flames by If You Are Melody. 
So let's go ahead and go right into the author's summary. He doesn't say anything. Then again, he doesn't really need to. She knows exactly how he feels. It isn't just hers, this tangle of confusion and longing, this strange, disorienting sting of clarity that somehow has only made everything else seem even more complicated. The Hundred Year War is at its peak. The Fire Prince has defected. Sozin's comet is weeks away. And two teenagers struggle to make sense of themselves, their roles, and each other in a world that's in the throes of change. So now let's go ahead and get into this reviewer's summary. So I'm going to be completely honest here. I recommend this story all the time. It is one of my absolute favorites. <laughs> my podcast hosts will attest to this. This is absolutely one of my favorites. I talk about it all the time. All the time. The author. <laughs> this whole segment is a tribute to its simple brilliance. The author, if you are Melody, has such a beautiful mastery of tone. This story starts first in a pre-Sozin's Comet world of Avatar. This is when their relationship is still in its first tentative steps. They're trying to figure out friendship. But when it happens, it just fits too well for them both. A moment happens, a glorious, brilliant moment, exactly at the wrong time. And that moment lasts exactly two paragraphs. But this is where that author shines. Her wordplay, the way she breaks up and intersperses dialogue with just the right, a right amount of narrative, it helps us to identify that titular before and that titular after. Her dialogue is witty and quick, but it's full of realism. I can hear each character as clearly as if I were watching them on my screen. If you can't tell, I really like this story. And this is one of those stories, I think, that it's like a stirring cup of oolong tea that you just never really want to see the bottom of. So, discussion time. <laughs> okay, I've been dutifully waiting <laughs> to start commenting. Because this whole fake is very fresh in my mind. And I just want to touch a little bit on um, the tone and what you said. I agree 100% with that it feels like you are watching them on the TV. Because the right? characterization is perfect. Even in... In the before and in the after, especially in the after, because we're looking at them uh, three years ahead. And, you, you know, they're, they've matured. They've done a lot of self-exploration at this point. But uh, the author still keeps that essential part that makes them them. And you can see it the best, in my opinion, is in the banter. This fic has some of the best banter between characters I have ever read. It's so... It's so perfect. I, I wouldn't change a thing about that. And it's so beautiful because you get to know the characters through that banter. You get to know their wins, their losses, what they're scared of, what they love. And, oh, God. That Katara had a bow in yeah. the North Pole. <gasps> Go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Take but then, that like, you could run. tell Zuko was like, you had, you had a guy? And I was like, no. He had, she had a guy. <laughs> no pressure. But, but like, 
like even just like the little details like the story about how each of them were talking about how they got their bending or like in Sokka's case the moment that he felt like a warrior like it was little things like that that normally if a lesser writer were attempting that you'd be able to see through it and it would be really clear that they were just speculating but this felt right it almost felt like it was canon like this was how it should have been because she paid such homage to the characters and maintained that authenticity that it felt right you know we don't you know canon wise we don't actually know when these characters got their bending aside from like Toph but like that extra detail and that extra thought just kind of really builds that you know really excellent universe or the world that she's going for well even that small detail with the bending exactly um what she literally points out not the badger moles that you were talking about literally the first time that you bent the element it's it's right still acknowledging the canon but it's expanding on it in a way that doesn't sound repetitive sometimes i find when uh, uh people write things that are canon compliant it feels repetitive because they're repeating the dialogue they're repeating what's happening which is nice but sometimes it can get repetitive but i feel like in this story it was such a deep and thorough like expansion on that that it's almost like Mm -hmm. oh my god i didn't realize that this could have been a thing that could have been expanded on and now i'm kind of upset that it wasn't expanded on um like i yeah i love (laughs) the stories of when everybody first bent that Suki's, I think like Suki is a really good evidence of that because how they, they built off of her character where she's quietly humble, uh, quietly not as humble, I should say. She's, she knows what she did was pretty impressive, but she's trying to kind of play it off and it actually does fit her character it very really well, does. especially the character we see in B and, and book three where she's, she's quietly confident and she knows what she can do and she does it. And she does it very well. And that's what we see in this story when you just that little bit we see of so- uh, Suki because you don't see her much in this story. But to me, that's a testament to what if your melody was able to do is she was able to create even just that little bit that we see of her. It fits. It makes sense. And then she does that in large scale with the rest of the characters because they're, you know, a bigger part of the story. But it's to me, it's that that's a, such a testament to her ability to mm-hmm. write characterization dead yeah. on she knows she knows her material and she's working well within the confines of her deviation from canon dare i say like she she fits nimbly yeah. within the boundaries and that's that's a skill it's a it's it, a hard it, one it really to is on, because sure. it, it yeah it stays true to the canon in many ways and then we just get to see a different side of it um that makes yeah. it all the better in my opinion top tier fic bending <laughs> yeah they're, they're, these are the true masters <laughs> you're starting to deal with the when she starts dealing with the after to me because like that well first off we see the before we've we already talked about the before the moment the big moment that's the shift from the de- de- delineation of before and after it's that's two paragraphs and it is exactly what you'd expect it's um it's quick there's there's um frantic nature to it a desperation to it but it's i think it's unique in that there's nothing that's an outside element that stops them in that relationship it's them 
It's not a, it's not May walking in the door. It's not a meddling council. It, for those who it's don't not. know, what uh, Ryde is talking about is when they uh, mac out. And uh, we are all very happy about that. But it sounds a lot more poetic the way, if you were a melody, wrote it, <laughs> than how I'm <laughs> describing it. But on a more serious note, honestly, it, I think earlier I described each before and after as kind of this balloon that just keeps building and building and building and all this pressure and tension and confusion in the characters building up to something and then then. you know the catalyst to all that is the final Agni Kai which I need to do go on a little side rant here about how kudos to the author for first of all writing the fact that Zuko would not be standing up uh, after taking a lightning bolt in the chest, and that Katara wouldn't just can anybody right, say shock? And Katara wouldn't just ditch him and be like, "Yeah, peace out. Uh, hope you're fine." Uh, so thank you for that. <laughs> I mean, they never really clarify how long it is between, like, Zuko getting hit by lightning and. Like, all this stuff afterward, towards the end of Sozin's I don't know, it seemed way too suspiciously quickly. Like, I'm not a doctor, but I think a lightning bolt would do you in for at least a week. (laughs) My person. (laughs) I'm not a doctor, but I understand rational common sense. This is when I say that the author has made it abundantly clear she is a doctor. So I would listen to her more than I would to anybody else. So she knows. (laughs) She knows her thing. If you get the shock stick, you uh, stay in the bed. Now we know. See? Facts. This is science fact. Explains a little bit more. This story has a medical degree. So... (laughs) Facts. There you go. <laughs> the story does. Not yeah. the author, it's the story. Oh my god. <laughs> Is this story even old enough to be in school? Um, no. <laughs> but like I was saying, yeah, that moment is so crucial because those two paragraphs pack a punch. It is so satisfying, but you know, you know this moment is going to be like just a flickering flame that just comes at the wrong time and the characters acknowledge like this is bad timing oh no what are we gonna do and as and <laughs> i like that as oh, the no. reader you're like i know they're right but like Shit. It, it's so frustrating but you God know you know that it's true it, it's the wrong it's the wrong time and then you're just kind of left with that that yeah they had this moment of passion and acknowledgement that their relationship their friendship built up to this moment and now they have to put it on the back burner that's yeah exactly that's how beautiful she sets that up i just i love that part and then i love even more so (laughs) the after because i am a glutton for punishment evidently we all because we all the the after i don't um, yeah you can't you can't be a zutara nerd unless you subconsciously hate yourself every time every (laughs) time that is so accurate we're so flagging. Yeah, like, like <laughs> you know, we're enjoying it, but man, it burns. That is so, so accurate. It hurts. So then the after, we know it says that three years passes. And I love how she displays that. I mean, we've all read the letters. We've all read them in fix. We all assume that that's exactly what happened. It's a headcanon. I think that is just accepted across all lines when it comes to 
Zutara. They write letters to each other. That's how they stay in contact until they're old enough to actually make a difference and make a choice on this. How she writes the letters, though, I am in awe of because it's not something I would have thought of before. And um, I've never seen it before either. And that's the, the fact that she does things as simple as just scratching it out. And even to the point where one of her characters even admits to the fact of saying, I think it's Katara that says it to Zuko, of you do realize I can read what you're scratching out. <laughs> and yet that still happens. <laughs> and it kind of is that unsaid, said moment, you know, of, of I know what you're trying to say, but I can't really acknowledge that right now either because my life is doing this and your life is doing that. And it's not happening right now. And this, this this tension that's even there over those three years of writing letters and it doesn't stop until they see each other. And, oh, okay. I'm going to stop there because I love their re- reunion. Reunion. There is the word. What, what reunion? It wasn't the reunion I wanted, but it's the one that I needed. I know. I understand. See, I haven't read any of this, so I'm just nodding along like, yes, I read this. I know It's okay. You'll know how we feel. Yeah, don't worry. Now you know what it's in store for you. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I think I wrote a comment of like, those three years of letters, there's so much emotion and so much pining. (laughs) Oh my God. It is just, it was a whole, whole ass forest, boreal forest of pining. <laughs> I, I just, oh my God. Oh, it, it hurt. It hurt because you, you can feel the longing. You can feel literally everything they want to say to each other, but they can't. It just, it, and it's right. Like I can't, it hurts, but I can't argue with it. The, it's true to the story there. What time would there be for them? after a hundred years of war like it especially with Katara and like I love that she got to do her own thing I think that is just so so important to her character arc and it's something that in the canon we she didn't get to do anything for herself after the war it was all what was expected of her what she had to do and I think yeah it's it's wonderful to see her being able to explore her own thing. And on top of that, that Zuko lets her. Doesn't have a problem with that. He understands that that's something that she needs. And he's not going to get... He, I think at some point in the story, he literally says, I'm not going to get in the way of it. He does, like, yeah, right before she I, leaves. Th- yeah. Mm-hmm. That you have... Like, I get it. This is something you need. And it, this is not the time. And it's just... I think that just shows so much... Respect. Real... Yeah, respect and just that that's love like you you want this person to be with you but you know you have to let them go because you know in the long run they're going to be unhappy if they don't do this thing if you so don't get that chance just, to grow oh exactly well, yeah exactly you know to be honest on more of a side note like i always wonder about that like you know 100 years of war like and we always, a lot of writers, we err on the side of, well, they would make that sacrifice. I always wonder, like, would they, though? Would they? Because I guess that's why this kind of fan fiction is so hard for me to really get into and to really appreciate. Because I feel like after 100 years of war, there would be a lot of people feeling like, dang, we're going to live. We thought we were going to die on a battlefield, but let's you know, let's eat, drink, and be merry because, man, we're going to live to see tomorrow. I just, I don't know. I can't, like, I think that's why it fix like this really, like, hit me because I'm just like, 
Sure. You want okay. them together. I want them to like jump off and get smashing booties say, the right hell now. With I... this. Yeah. Like <laughs> life is messy, but we're living and let's commit to it. And I, I can appreciate that because it's true. It is because you, because yeah, as a, as the viewer, you realize that they've sacrificed so much and that they, they deserve the thing that they want. They do. Right. But I don't Cannon think Canon did it bad is. by that though. Canon did them bad. Because yeah. that's I just, the moment that Ira walked away, it screwed up everything canon wise because there was no just, way for Zuko not to be, to have to take on the role entirely by himself. And he couldn't think of anybody else but yeah, his nation. I think it's uh, just, honestly, that if just you look at how sense. Katara and Zuko, they would want the thing. They want the thing really bad. But Katara knows her is so duty driven sometimes. And Zuko is so honor driven. I don't think they, <laughs> as characters, idiots. have the capacity. <laughs> yeah, yeah two idiots. I don't think but- they have a lot of capacity to be selfish at times, right? Like, they have a really hard time with that. I don't think they could, if they see something as selfish, I don't think that they would do it. Right. They would do it. Like, it doesn't matter how much they want it. We want them to, but. No, I just, I mean, like, I can see Zuko being an idiot like that. Like, definitely that fits within his character arc and where he's going. I just, I feel like Katara is just growing and changing and, like, realizing that she needs to honor herself. And, I mean, I think I'm definitely treating Katara as, like, a self-insert. Like, I will 100% stick with that. I'm not going to deny it. And so I always just feel like, you know, she's moving towards this. I can find my own path. And I just always see her as being the one of, like, yeah, let's smash booties. Like, who cares? What are consequences? I, I think we're not going to see yeah. some of that. I mean, we haven't gotten to that point in the story yet. So I I'm, I'm, wouldn't be surprised if we do see her being the one to start this up. But, you know, Possibly. it's it's going to be interesting to see. Because where, where they are now and where the author is now in the story, they've come together now. And they're f- together tackling political things. Things that they would be doing if they are Fire Lord and Fire Lady or her equivalent. So we're starting to see some of that. We're starting to see Katara in this role. So it, it, you can see her easily start saying, listen, okay, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. That could be where we see, where we go with this. Who knows? I, I really don't know what the author is going to yeah. do with it. Which, by the way, shout Let's out see. to that scene where Katara hands June's ass on a, like, Isn't it just, great? Like, yes. That was amazing. I was, I was like, he walked into that. Ooh, so beautifully and i was like mic drop this is a new improved worldly katara that ain't nobody gonna stand in her way we've seen the three the- years do their job <laughs> yeah but i agree with you with what you're saying that like you we're gonna start seeing that we're gonna because there's only so much there's only so much i guess like ability to resist that i think they're going to have yeah because uh, everybody sees it like everybody in the gang is like can you guys please just i love go love each other because clearly yeah god oh my god in that sequence okay so i have a lot to say about that sequence i just do yeah (laughs) so she finally got her field trip i know right (sighs) um so so toff okay that sequence break be leading up to that when they both are kind of drunk well i should say all of them are kind of drunk at the party and there's a callback and that's what i, I love about what um if your melody does and she does these callbacks and there's the little things like i, I you know i didn't necessarily catch it until like a second or third read but something as simple as the hands-on 
you can see the build where it happened very quickly before Sozin's Comet. You see them banter first, then on to physical contact, then on to this, the, the next step, the next step, the next step. She's doing that, but she's doing it slow now after the fact. So the point where she starts to tickle or pester Zuko with her foot at the campsite in the second or no, that'd be a third or fourth chapter. He starts, you know, ragging on her about it. They, they, they get going. They start laughing. They start having a good time. Now, many chapters down, I want to say it's like the 11th or 12th chapter. They're drunk. They're hanging out at a party and slowly the contact happens. In the middle of that contact, Toph comes over and messes it up because she loves to stir chaos and it is the best moment because it's it's allowing everybody to be involved and she sees it and she knows it and she's not going to shut up about it and it is just beautiful to me absolutely love it but it's that connection she is now that that if you were melody has done is she's connected that beginning of her story now with the after of the story and it just blows me away and now what's going to happen in the kitchen, guys? The Isn't kitchen. That like how relationships are anyway. Like people legitimately have continuous connections with each other. And these little things are just like they build, it's a legit they add relationship. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They add up. It's because, I mean, yeah, I just I love how she built the relationship. And I love that the second time around, is it's more awkward and more. Yes tense and it's just it's, it's harder for them the second time around and i'm like sitting here like nah you guys got it right the first time just do that <laughs> go go stop second guessing um, this <laughs> but it's such a good it's a great torture so as much as i'm suffering thank you if you were melody for this beautiful torture you're putting all of us through oh and and we can't wait to see exactly how that interaction is going to go inside the kitchen now so chapter 18 I guess we're waiting for you. Yeah. We're waiting for you. I am excited. I I think that, (laughs) yeah, I'm excited. Um, I guess the only last thing I wanted to comment on, and it's just more of a side note, uh, and more more kudos to the chef, um, uh, was uh, how she portrayed Aang letting go of Katara. Yes. uh, I wrote a comment in the thing that said, uh, this is the ang we deserved. This is the ang that st- this stays true to what ang had his character had been up to. You know, certain book three hot messes. Yep, mm-hmm. book three. <laughs> I was calling it book certain. three. <laughs> yep. So I just appreciate that he did realize that you know what it was a selfish, childlike love that an infatuation that he had with Katara. It wasn't. It wasn't something that could really be, could live on and on and on. Like it just. And it, be healthy at least. And I, yeah, yeah. And I just think that that, that does a lot of justice to Aang's character because he deserved that. Like it, it, I think that was the best case scenario of like, yeah, he's hurt. And he says it, this hurts regardless as any heartbreak hurts, but he understands that it, the place that he was coming from was not something that was gonna was gonna you know benefit Katara ever and I'm glad that Katara also acknowledges that in the story that like she that Aang's never going to see her really like he's never going to see her as this imperfect human 
that screws up, that isn't this thing on a pedestal that Aang built her up to be. So I just needed to do a little shout out to Aang finally getting what he deserves the the writing he deserves he deserves the right ending like katara is a dynamic person and it's so unfair that ang's character really gets pigeonholed into that like mythical hero who just gets the girl and that's it and everything's amazing like you know he he deserves like real authentic character development and a proper ending Mm -hmm. not just this flat one-sided picket fence that's so insidious very mm-hmm. much so. Very much so. Preach. Thank you for joining us for Fic Picks. That is our segment for the day. We, uh, once again, would solidly recommend, I would say this is definitely a solid recommendation to read. Since we've reviewed this as a whip, we'll make sure to let you know if it updates. Um, however, we will not spoil those updates for you. We'll just let you know that they have happened so you can go and read them yourselves in the future. Thank you again for joining us. Hope you had as much fun as we did reviewing this, as you can tell by the proliferate amount of time we spent talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) We will not shut up. No. (laughs) So please go ahead and look at our social media. We'll make sure to link all of uh, If You Are Melody's account, especially her Forged in Flames, which is the story we reviewed today. Um, but if you get a chance to take a look at all of her stuff, it's all excellent. Um, you will not be disappointed. And we'll make, like I said, we'll make sure to have it linked um, associated with this actual podcast. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Pig Picks, where I try not to yell into the microphone about how much I love these artists and their work. Oh, please, Laura, you never, you never yell. <laughs> I never yell about no these. No yelling happens no. when we plan this. I don't all. like see artists post and then immediately just let out a war cry. No, not at all. Of feelings. <laughs> we definitely do not share art that we see and scream into the phone. Oh, my God. Not it at is all. just, I love art. It's so good, especially this fandom. Anywho. There is no crying. <laughs> there's no crying hold it in <laughs> we'll hold it there in our <laughs> chest until we die yeah like there's men. no crying in Boston <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry alright y'all so today's feature artist is a new artist Tamborella and I say new very lightly she is beyond talented and has been at this for a long time it's just only relatively recently that I started seeing Avatar The Last Airbender fan art created by her she's just one of those artists in my opinion that is literally the embodiment of a picture is worth a thousand words she creates entire worlds in a single piece and I'm heckin excited to be featuring her today Links to the pieces we are talking about and her social media can be found on the JDT Hour Tumblr, Instagram, and Twitter. To keep with the episode's theme of before and after, we will be chatting about Tamborella's story arc pieces. So feel free to pull them up as you listen. The first set we have is a before and after of Azula. So, ladies, what I kind of wanted to highlight with these two pieces are kind of the idea of freedom versus imprisonment. So, the before and after in her. So, in this set, uh, 
It's set in the Fire Lord's palace, and the first image we see is that of young Azula playing with Tai Lee, Mei, and young Zuko. Uh, they're playing together, running around the castle, and they look so carefree, happy, and innocent. Even Ursa makes an appearance in the very background, if y'all want to zoom in. So this piece has me just over the moon, because it's one of the few moments you get to see Zuko and Azula happy together. So seeing Zuko and Azula happy together is honestly just such a jarring scene for anyone who's watched the show, I think. Um, this is before all the trauma and all the suffering and everything this they went through. And this piece just screams innocence, peace, and genuine happiness for once. And I think, honestly, sorry to jump in here, but like, it's always so interesting to see the before and after for Azula. Like, just think about, like, look how happy they are in the beginning versus the end. Like, you can clearly see that the mood has changed, that it's almost like very nostalgic. Um, and then the part where she's like obviously losing her her crap (laughs) um like it's just such a different vibe like you know happiness trust honestly is like yeah when, when she was too young to even know about control and like keeping it all together and then when she like falls apart absolutely like it is it's one of those things where they have no worries really besides just simple ones that children have and i think tamborella really exceeds at showing it with uh, specifically lighting and the use of color um she uses these beautiful warm honey like golden tones and like as a view yeah as the viewer you really just you can feel the warmth and the happiness and the contentment um in the piece there's even if you notice at the top there's even birds flying which i think is a symbol of freedom if i've ever seen one hope and opportunity and it's almost like the lighting in the second one it shows that like like that complete opposite urgency yeah Yeah. Mm mm-hmm all right so since we've been talking about the second one let me describe to our listeners a little bit what we're looking at so the second, so the after per- portion of Azula takes place literally in the same wing of the palace where Azula loses in the Agni Kai. Uh, but now, whereas before the lighting was really warm and happy, um, this is when Azula loses and she's chained up and she's just desperately breathing that blue fire and that hysterical screaming that we all remember from the show. Oh, that still haunts uh, me. Oh God, oh, it yeah. really it. That's a uh, who goosebumps and not the good kind. <laughs> but like, shout out to Gray Delisle, like Ooh, God. excellent voice acting. That's a I don't know what she tapped into to get those screams out, but it is dork. I was <laughs> yeah. actually hearing somebody said that um, she won't watch that part of the show again because it. She had to go in the room and could not have anybody watching her while she did that. It was so intense well, for her, which is obvious. Because it feels so visceral when you hear it. It's like a visceral, like this part, this young girl is just, like her mind is just going, not where you want your mind to go. Yeah. I just, honestly, for me, that's always been such a powerful part of the show. Like, dang, 
Azula Redemption. Like, that's what we needed, man. We need a whole segment on Azula's redemption arc that she deserved, in my opinion. We'll be adding that in there someday. We'll do that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think so. So with this piece, just to tie it back in, I think there is just so much to unpack in the after. Uh, So much is the same between each picture, but at the same time, so much is different, which I think is a huge theme in both Azula and Zuko's character arcs. This place that's used to be, so the palace that used to be a place of fun, freedom, and happiness has turned into this prison for each of them. Um, A prison where they're kind of alone. The only difference is that Zuko manages to escape and defect to the Avatar side and Azula fails and literally ends up in chains. I honestly, I would argue with you there. I would say neither of them really managed to escape. They (gasps) change. Plot twist. They change it. Like, for example, like we can see all of the allusions to like their family and their duty and the expectations. But, you know... Zuko changes those expectations. He becomes his own Fire Lord. He changes the role, you know, that he wants to be, but Azula is crushed by it. There's even inclinations as to her mental state in the first image. And that's the the blue already at her fingertips. She's already got the blue Mm -hmm. there, and it's not necessarily controlled. It's already slightly untamed. So here was that she maintained her physical discipline, her... She was always the perfect daughter, but there was always something uncontrolled and, uh, and wild about her and her abilities. <laughs> and she starts off with this little hint of it, but by the t- ending, we're seeing her out of control. Now she's unleashed and, and completely unrestrained, even though she's physically constrained. I love that. I love that. She flew too high and tried too hard and she crashed and burned literally well it was just kind of like that thing of like in that thing of power corrupts i think that is both it's true on both counts of her it's not only physical raw power but it's just the power of being fire lord it just completely corrupted her it got into her head in a way that just psychologically destroyed her and I love that, and I love, Ride that you tied it into the use of color, where it's just a hint of that blue fire, and then in the second image, it's this wild, complete, like, just a blaze that cannot be controlled. Um, so that uh, comment that Teacup said about Zuko paving and changing the expectations of the castle ties us beautifully into Zuko's before and after set, which I freaked out about a lot. Um, it was very hard to write because I have so many feelings and so many things to say and it all, I tried, to, I tried to sound smart, guys. I really did. This is the fiery <laughs> boy, of course. <laughs> There's so much emotion there. How could you the, I just have a lot of feelings so and it's hard to, <laughs> it, it's hard to put them into a couple of paragraphs. But anywho, so here we are. The setting is the Fire Lord's palace and it's the portrait wing. And we see a young Zuko and Azula behind him. Uh, And Zuko is staring at a portrait of Sozin. He's staring up at this portrait. uh, And this is before he gets his scar, I would assume. Um, This image to me is just amazing. We see Zuko looking at what is supposed 
what he's supposed to become one day, the man he's supposed to like mold himself after. This is the legacy of Sozin that he's supposed to carry on. And I don't know, in the first picture, it kind of makes me wonder if even at this time, young Zuko is seeing this as a good thing or if he's, or if even this early, he's kind of starting to question it. Uh, yeah, it just uh, the first picture really brings, um, brings up a lot of questions because you can't see his face. So you're not really sure what he's feeling. You can only kind of tell by his body language that there's a lot going on in his head. It's interesting that Azula is hovering behind the, mm-hmm. the 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 symbolism of not you know what's ahead and behind is he's surrounded by this perspective of people she's she's seeing him as an obstacle to that goal in her mind mm-hmm. whereas he's sitting there just looking ahead he doesn't even realize she's behind him and, mm-hmm. and that see that seeing that dynamic again between them it's very interesting i really like that yeah that i didn't think of that that yeah she is looking at him and Zuko's looking at the portrait and that yet Zuko is kind of in the way for her to her goals. Hmm. I love that. Oh God. I love analyzing art. When I was thinking about like when I, when I said the stuff before about how like the expectations and the duty, this was the piece that I was thinking of because we can clearly see, you know, um, Sozin's right there and that's who he needs to be you know, who he's expected to become. And, you know, like it goes back to, right, like Azula's looking at him because she sees what she wants to be and who's standing in her way. Whereas in the second photo, it's, or in the second piece, sorry, um, it's showing that there's no one there and Zuko has made his own decision. So he, mm-hmm. you know, he's changing his destiny which is like his whole thing Destiny's a funny thing haha to quote the iconic tea maker as one should um yes i mean would our podcast be anything if it wasn't for him um so to continue describing the second piece that uh teacup was describing Sorry, so I did it this is twice. the same setting oh yeah no worries uh, it's kind of hard not to tie them all in when as, as as I was writing and talking about this, it's it's really hard to talk about one and not reference the other. So I'm hoping all of our listeners have it pulled up or at least know what we're talking about. If not, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> Deal with it. Um tough. <laughs> yeah. Just uh you just get to hear us talk about Azula and Zuko's redemption arcs, which is not that bad. There can be worse conversations. <laughs> <laughs> The second one is, once again, in the Fire Lord's Palace in the portrait wing. But this time, uh, it is Zuko post once post joining the Avatar. Or I'm not sure if this is actually would count as the Avatar or just before, like when he made the decision to leave the palace. But yeah, I think maybe that would make more sense a little bit. But I don't know. In any, in any case, um, it's Zuko when he really decides that, hey, Everything that I was taught, everything that I thought I knew is wrong and I have to change it and completely try something else. So Zuko is alone this time and his back is facing Zozin's portrait or at least what used to be. Um, In his hand, he has the portrait of Zozin rolled up and he is burning it. Uh, And then the light that the burning is casting causes his shadow to kind of go up and you 
co- essentially covers the portrait and all you can see is the outline of Zuko where the portrait used to be. I didn't see I think, that. I think <gasps> that is super symbolic, guys. Oh, I love I know. that. It's, I, it's such a good, honestly, Tamborella's attention to detail. Like every single piece that. she makes, you Ooh. need to zoom in because it is just Easter egg after Easter egg of Snap. things that you can find that have some symbolic uh, importance, wow. I think. Circles mm-hmm. within circles within circles. Dang, this I love good. it. I know. Um, so it's very similar, even just the fact of where the light's coming from versus the type of lighting in each one of those pictures. Oh my goodness, it's it's so full of the of this meaning beyond just the. You can look at it and say, "Oh, this is a beautiful picture. It's simplistic," you know. But each one of them are unreal, absolutely unreal. I mean, to be fair, I really think that like these sets are essentially, if you were to summarize their character arcs into two pictures this would be it oh yeah completely like Like, she packs an emotional punch dare i say mm -hmm. an emotional bitch slap (laughs) honestly i felt thoroughly thoroughly bitch slapped honestly after looking at all honestly any of her work leaves me in a little bit of a semi comatose state of like i need i need to sit down and think for a minute one time she hit me and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, even just uh, you know, I can't help it. I gotta go back to those colors because the 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 four the four pictures they have the same two basic color palettes. They um, do the the, mm-hmm. the the warm honey glaze colors, and then you have these deep reds and purples, and they're on the same spectrum. So it's mm-hmm. the same colors. It's not like they're doing blue and red or you know these contrasting. She really did take it and say, here's the same spectrum and here's two opposite ends of it. Here's the same person and here's two opposite ends of it. So it's mm-hmm. that using that color to keep that story just as much as she is everything else in the storyline. She's really showing beginning really, ending just by color even. Right. It really ties in because it's, I think, a way to show with color that here are two people that were raised the same, had the same situation and look at how differently they turn out um you'd think that both of them would have ended up in the same place but they didn't like certain and i think color is such a good simple yet impactful way to tell that story um and i just love how he's literally turning his back on his family's legacy here and he's burning it like kind of a this really gives me like a rise from the ashes type of vibes. Like he's burning phoenix. this I- ironically old, yeah. after his father is supposedly the phoenix king. The, the phoenix king. And yet he's here the, he's honestly, the true phoenix. Yeah. Really? Because he's got to take this burnt like just hundred years of war and awful. And he has to not only rise from the ashes, but he's got to get his whole nation to rise from the ashes. So there's just so much. Oh, I yeah. know. <laughs> wow. He has um, such strong, like, mythical leader vibes. Like, I don't know. Like, it, I, there's I don't a know, reason obviously. why I stand a fiery boy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if you guys um, out there have, like, Zelda fans, but you know how, like, there's always, like, the five sages and they're from each different nation? Like, there's some strong Zelda vibes going on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's Solidly. just iconic honestly so much like sozin's comment unfortunately this section has to come to an end 
But once again, so please give your eyes a treat and head over to Tamborella's social media. She can be found as Tamborella on Tumblr and Twitter and by her name, Devin L. Kurtz on Instagram. She is amazing. I cannot describe in words how talented she is and the amazing work that she does. So please go there and check her out. And speaking of other talented work, um, let's have a second and segue right into the Meta Minute. The Zutara fandom has been responsible for some pretty amazing things over the years. There have been successful fandom events, gift exchanges, and crazy popular designs. One of my favorite things, however, has always been reading metas. As an English nerd, aside from being just a Zutara nerd, writing angry dissertations has always been a special joy. For that reason, here at the Jasmine Dragon, we've decided to include a quick meta minute as a rotating segment. Despite the many voices clamoring for more controversial topics, <coughs> Katang versus Zutara, <coughs> we've decided to start somewhere a little less incendiary, specifically with Azula's hair. While you don't need to read this segment, it would help. So many cultures put a lot of emphasis on hair. Many Native American tribes put special significance on long hair and other cultures like the Japanese uh, consider the cutting of one's hair to be a very significant thing. Avatar The Last Airbender is no exception with scenes like Zuko and Iroh cutting their hair at the beginning of season two Aang shaving his head at the beginning of Sozin's Comet, revealing his arrow tattoos. So every time that hair is cut, it always has such big significance. And Azula's hair and how it shows her ultimate break with reality is a well-covered topic. But as Tumblr user Hey Arnold WTF writes, her hair can also represent her honor. So like this is a really interesting idea because most discussions around her hair typically stick with the heavily beaten path of her hair is precise when she's on point and when it's crazy, so is she. So Hey Arnold is suggesting that Azula's hair deteriorates with her changing view of her own honor. So for example, she is last quote unquote put together when Ozai uh, becomes the Phoenix King and more or less gives her the now useless title of Fire Lord. Afterward, her hair is never quite on point again. Instead, Hey Arnold argues, her hair is down, showing that even though she's in the position of power, there's no honor that comes with it. It goes without saying that when she tries to style her hair again, she's attempting to restore that honor. But when Zuko finally defeats her during the last Agni Kai, her top knot finally bites the dust. Hey Arnold writes, and I quote, Not only did Azula lose her father's pride and loyalty to her as his heir, but she lost everything she had been working towards for her entire life. She lost her mother, she lost her friends, she lost her royal advisors, she lost the fear she instilled in the world, she lost her childhood, Azula even lost her mind. Now, Hey Arnold continues by describing how Zuko and Azula both lost their honor at some point, at some point during an Agni Kai, and their perspective is that her honor was tainted with fear and evil, but it was still sad that it kind of drove her crazy. Now, while I think this is an excellent meta and frankly, a really interesting view at or on Azula's character, I would seriously argue that honor is probably the wrong word here. So it is definitely the word Azula would have used, which makes it really appropriate. 
But instead, I think her honor represents her self-esteem. So I think her hair, um, it shows how she considers herself. Like, for example, when she pleads with her father not to treat her like Zuko, she doesn't want to become irrelevant like him, or dare I say, useless. Instead, rather, I would suggest that Azula's hair represents how she sees herself. She calls it her honor, but I think it's really just a way to show her own opinion of her importance and how relevant she is to her father. Ladies? Oh, solidly. I, I would say I agree with all of that, but the only thing is I would mm -hmm. broaden it to from self-esteem to her identity. Like her whole entire how she like like you said teacup how she views herself right. and how she views the world around her um i what you said about her hair being and what we see in the canon that her hair is absolutely perfect at the beginning she sees herself as perfect but the world she's in sees her as perfect too yes the the way everything that she's been raising is she's a prodigy she's perfect she is not like her disgrace of a brother that has been banished and th this continues and then evolves in the story where that viewpoint and that worldview gets shattered literally when she throws that that hairbrush at the mirror when she's trying to do her own hair she's realizing that everything around her everything her the way that she looked at is mm -hmm. cracking it, it it has no foundation anymore I think it's very interesting that the first time we actually see her with her hair down is a, directly after a fight with Zuko. It's when she's uh, he she comes to the Western Air Temple right after the Boiling Rock, right after she's been, been betrayed by her closest friends. And here she is fighting Zuko. And to save her life, she has to give up her dignity, her hair, she's... her pride. Yeah. So she literally sacrifices that to be able to survive. And here you have her later on as she's losing her mind. Literally, that is the only thing that she can give up at that point is her dignity, her pride. Like going with that theme of, you know, Azula not wanting to be treated like Zuko and her mother thinking that she's a monster. And like, I wonder if Azula always subconsciously thought that she was crazy and always subconsciously knew somehow that she wasn't perfect and then as a young girl it's just building this shell of utter confidence of i will kill you if you look at me twice and then having it crack because she is at the end of the day ultimately human just like zuko even the fact that her uh she loses that the very first time we meet azula she's sitting on a ship and she does this perfect firebending move and lee and lo literally say Excellent form, beautiful job, with only a hair, hair out, of place. out of place. And she is mad about that. You see her, she crosses, she gets a cross look on her face and she looks at that hair, that's that offending hair in her face. And she's mad about that because it's a it's a chink in her armor already at that point. So I would definitely agree with you, Teacup. I really think that is from the very beginning. I mean, even Ursa says, What's wrong with that mm -hmm. child? Well, the chink, and she, uh, and then when they're in Amber Island, she's she says, "Of course, mother was right." Right. I like I am a monster. She she's not wrong about that, uh, and she said, "But it still hurt." Mm -hmm. So I think that 
that is that is the chink in her armor that she knows she's a monster and unfortunately her mother you know such a because i don't as much as azula is portrayed as this character that doesn't have you know feelings doesn't really have empathy i think it's just the way she was the the environment she was raised in even though it was the same as zuko's you know ursa was that figure of empathy but ursa rejected her so where was she supposed to learn any of this the only role model really she had was you know like three generations of bloodthirsty fire lords so (laughs) well like well like that even goes back to like tamborella's art where we can see Uh the clear effect of you know sozin and that expectation and you know that before moment where she's trying to be everything there and on one hand zuko decides that he is going to burn it all down and be his own fire lord and afterwards she can't she can't cope because she has to acknowledge that she is imperfect, that she is human, and she she simply cannot find an alternative. She can't burn it all down like Zuko and to be his own fire lord. She just, she cracks. Where does she fit in that new world? She doesn't. That's, that you, and that's the thing. She doesn't have that opportunity to fit into anything. The only world she's known is the one she's created based off of what she thought was always going to be there. Oh, and destroyed. I? His life, his fi- his le- his bloodline, and Zuko comes in and says, "Screw that!" and literally burns it down. Where is she going to fit? She has to relearn everything. And at fourteen, yes, that's not you know, and <laughs> twenty doing that, but it's still fourteen years of your life. That's still large part of your life that you've learned a certain way of living, and now you're being told, "No, no, that doesn't work here anymore." Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? what you gonna now be? defines you yeah and i yeah that would definitely cause kind of a mental breakdown that we can see in azula and again that we can see narrated in her hair mm-hmm. that there's just it, it she had to cut it herself she is you know screaming hysterically at the end of the agni kai and it's just it's heartbreaking because you can see that she is a product of how she was raised and the environment she was in and that identity that was placed upon her because she didn't pick that identity she didn't pick that worldview it was ingrained to her since she was born or since she showed signs of firebending and it to have that turned on its head it you don't know what's real anymore because everything you thought 100 percent you just viscerally felt in your soul your Zuko's coming in here with all his imperfection, with all his dishonor, with all his <laughs> failure. Literally marked on his face. She is. Literally. Mm-hmm. Just absolute shame on the family. And he's winning. He's he won. He is he has the friends. He has love. He has Yeah. And it's how do you marry that? Like from Azula, if you're in Azula shoes, how do you, how do you, how do you marry those two realities without something going wrong up here? I mean, like, like she can't even get to the point of that because she's still dealing with the fact that 
everyone in her life either hates her, thinks she's crazy, lies to her, or her father who doesn't need her anymore. But she should get it. She deserves her redemption arc. That's oh, she do. Episode. She do. She do. It we does. have radical opinions here at the Jasmine Dragon. But, you know, it's interesting. She actually doesn't take her long to lose it. When she, I think that Agni Kai really shows that at the very end. Because it doesn't take much in the fight before she her hair is down. It's really relatively quick in the battle. That all of a sudden now her hair is down. There's no holding it up like that. That symbol of her sanity it's like that it's a, meme. It's a very delicate thing. That meme, yes. there's something off about her. It's the Barbie that's the like Barbie. The- <laughs> I don't know what. Uh, yep, that was. Um, <laughs> and you also have to think, she also had this, I mean, Zuko did too, but she she had this awesome, insane power of the comet. Right. And I think she was banking on that, that that, that nothing could get through her. Because she just has this sheer raw power that's just perfect, like her hair. <laughs> and it's not. It's not sheer enough. raw power is not enough. It's, you need more than that. Oh, yeah. All right. Solidly. Any last comments, ladies? Oh, I don't. I'm good. I think I think I got it all out. I think. Oh, I could talk more about Azula's hair, but that's yeah, a mean, whole other yes, story. But... That, that's another whole hour, and we're not going there tonight. <laughs> yeah, at some point we got to end this podcast. Well, thank you, ladies. Much appreciated. Excellent conversation as per usual. Um, shout out to Hey Arnold WTF. Keep writing that excellent meta. Um, we really appreciate you. We'll link to all their social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do that. I could do that, Doodle. Thank you. (laughs) Look at that. It's because I didn't read the fic. Discrimination. We're totally, we're totally, you know, letting letting you live it down. (laughs) No, no. Okay, okay. Well, Arnold, hey, Arnold, WTF, thank you. We're going to include some links in, um, the post so y'all go follow them and um give them some love because that meta is what keeps the fandom going um and now without further ado back to these people who have something to say about me what's good (laughs) (laughs) what's good hold my earrings (laughs) throw hands So, unfortunately, I have some not-so-great news for all our listeners. If you're hearing this, it means that we've reached the end of our show. But fear not. To make up for stopping talking about Zutara, we leave you with a snippet of our next serial reading of the fandom-beloved fanfic, Tempest in a Teacup by AKA Vertigo. So sit back, sip on a cup of tea, and enjoy! On the day that Prince Zuko, heir to the Fire Nation and future Fire Lord and Firebending Master, turns ten, he almost drowns. It is a rather stupid incident, really. One of his birthday gifts had been a custom suit of armor. The formal design of the armor meant that it was too bulky to be practical for real battle, but it was real armor, and the idea of letting go of something he had wanted for so long was not appealing. Usually, 
No child is required to spend a full day of ceremonies in a stifling cocoon of metal plating, not even a prince. However, Zuko is more than a prince. Zuko is Zuko. His army of attendants, painfully familiar with the force of the boy's tantrums, surrendered to his insistence without struggle. Let him wear it until it wears him out, they decide. What's the worst that could happen? He'll fall into the garden pond. Ha ha. Ha. It happens. One moment he is running across the bridge, unwatched and free, and the next there is a misstep, pitching one foot behind the other, and down he goes. First, there is only a simple confusion. Where did the bridge go? The rush of gravity whistling past until his body breaks the water's surface and Zuko goes under. The water is deep. Ironic that the future commander of the strongest navy in the world is rendered helpless in the water. Ironic, but true. For a moment, desperation is enough to send him back to the surface. Unfortunately, it is not enough to keep him there when thirty pounds of beautifully crafted tradition are hell-bent on dragging him below the cool, dark water. Strange that he is surrounded by water, and yet his chest burns fiercely. Powerless, suffocating, and utterly furious, Zuko fights his fall with every sinking inch. He's going to die, stupid, cold water, stupid water everywhere, going to die, Die! Father! I don't want to die! No! No, he doesn't die. Suddenly, a great force shoves him upward through the water. Light and air tear away the darkness, and Zuko crashes onto the earth, chest burning still. A hard tug, and the helmet vanishes off his head, making it easier to turn over and vomit the water. Out! 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 Zuko's head reels, and he's probably hallucinating, because he can actually feel the water surge up his throat and out. A miserable sentry of retching later, he manages to get an elbow under him and sit up. He looks at the stranger beside him. The stranger looks back. Thank you so much for listening to our preview of Tempest in a Teacup by AKA Vertigo. We will post the full second segment of our serial next Friday. Please be on the lookout for it and let us know what fic you'd like to hear next. Our next podcast will be served up to you on November 20th with a brand new blend of stout news, delicious fic picks, harmonious pick picks, and with a foreign twist of our rotating segment. I'll be happy to be your hostess for that upcoming tea hour. A special thank you to you, the tea ladies, for serving some real amazing work. Credit goes to Ride Boldly Ride for her excellent sound bending expertise. Self plug here to me, Doodle Lady, for all visuals and taking on the role of hostess. Until then, and depending on your platform, please like, reblog, Follow, subscribe, and support the Jasmine Dragon Tea Hour, your local source for fandom tea. Thank you for sharing a fascinating cup of tea with us. We look forward to meeting again soon.